Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Welcome to another week of The Church Is Not Closed, It's Been Deployed. And it's my pleasure today to introduce you to uh, a great friend of mine and actually a family member, Dave Steele. Dave just so happens to be my brother-in-law and uh, church leader that I respect hugely. Dave leads one church in Brighton, as has been involved in the local church for over 25 years now. He has a real passion to help churches believe that they are the hope of the world. One Church are a great example of this and are thoroughly committed to serving those in the greatest need in their community in a variety of community projects, some of which we'll be hearing about today. Dave loves the local church. He also loves ambiguity and says that he always questions his faith and the structures of the church to try and make sure that they are both alive and serving those in the greatest need. He's also a Villa fan, don't hold that against him, and is married to my sister Becky and they have got two lovely kids, Jake and Rhea. I personally find the work of One Church inspiring, the way that their projects uh, are about getting stuck in for the long term, uh, bringing hope and transformation. And I hope that this morning you are also inspired and enjoy hearing about their work. Hey Freedom Church, it is so nice to be here with you and getting a chance to share some stuff with you. My name's Dave Steele and I'm the minister at One Church Brighton. It's called. It's just called One Church Brighton. It's called One Church Brighton because we've got two churches and joined them together. Um, it's not called the One Church, which I get introduced as quite often. And if Joe just did that, then I'm going to have to uh, find a new family to join because that would be really annoying. Um, the One Church makes it sound like we're bragging that we're the only church when um, One Church is supposed to talk about unity. And um, yeah, anyway pet peeve out of the way it's just one church Brighton and I've been asked to just talk to you a little bit about our church and our story and um, I don't know how interesting that will be for you so I'm going to try and do kind of two things at once really I want us to look at a passage from scripture that has kind of uh, I think probably undergirded a lot of what I've felt like I've felt is important in life and inevitably I've kind of carried that over into my church leadership and it's made its way into the the kind of DNA I think of our of our church. Our story is of two churches that were really uh, struggling um, probably I think may have been closed even by now at this this point if they just sort of carried on their level of decline and I came to be the, the uh, pastor of one of them. I think there were 16 people who voted um, for me to come and be the minister. I made it by the skin of my teeth. And uh, that was 11 years ago. And a couple of years into that, we uh, spoke to this other church and they were struggling too. And we'd started to grow a bit and seen some encouraging things happen. And they said, oh, could we do something together? And the end of that conversation was a decision to launch uh, a new church together. So I'm going to tell you a bit about that. But the thing I also want to do today, whilst I've got you, is to encourage you and uh, maybe to challenge you too. Um, I know some people within your church. I have great respect for for the people who lead your church. I'm excited about the direction it's heading. Um, And 
yeah, so that's great. And anything I can do to sort of fan the flames of what's happening uh, there in Romsey is uh, I'm very, very happy to do. The passage that I want us to think about is a passage that you will know pretty well if you've been going to church for any length of time. Um, it's, it is an astounding passage. It's one of my favourite kind of interactions uh, that we find with Jesus in Mark chapter 14. Um, it's the story of that moment where um, an important religious guy has thrown a kind of banquet and invited Jesus as his guest of honour. And during the meal, there's this moment of disruption where a woman enters and goes down on her hands and knees and breaks this uh, alabaster jar of very expensive perfume over the feet of Jesus and um, anoints his feet. Though we have other versions. It's one of those unusual stories that's in uh, in all of the Gospels, all of them giving us a kind of different angle on this story. Some of them uh, in Luke, for instance, are quick to tell us that she was a sinful woman. Um, elsewhere, it names the woman as Mary. Um, th- there's some confusion ab- about it, but when you put the whole story together, it is an undeniably scandalous and brilliant story. The reason that I think I'm so into it is that I remember reading it years ago and a couple of verses just absolutely leapt out and have kind of haunted me in a very positive way. I come back to this story time and time again when I have doubts and when I wonder if I'm doing the right stuff. And the verses are this. In in verse 6, it says, um, it's basically the the men in the room have been critical of this woman's behaviour. And Jesus says, uh, leave her alone. He has this beautiful defence of this woman. And he says, what she has done is a beautiful thing. And I, I, I want to do that with my life. Imagine Jesus, you know, the, the maker of the universe and everything in it saying, this woman just did something beautiful to me. That's kind of the ultimate expression of what worship is all about. If you want to be somebody who passionately worships God, to hear his voice say, ah, what you just did was beautiful. Uh, that's as good as it gets. The other thing that uh, interests me is that in verse 9, he goes on to say, what this woman has done will be talked about uh, wherever the gospel is shared around the world, which is an amazing statement. Uh, could, could those people in that room possibly have guessed that he really meant it? It wasn't just hyperbole. He really meant it because here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about this woman and remembering what she did. So it's true. This woman, who was talked about as a sinful woman, and the kind of nod, nod, wink, wink, is that she was a prostitute. That's what church history, throughout church history, people have uh, tended to agree on, that this prostitute comes into the room and she does this action which is both beautiful and will be talked about forever. And I don't know about you, but I want to do something beautiful with my life. And I want it to be, I want it to count for something. Who doesn't want their life to count for something? Who doesn't want their life to count for something beyond the end of their life? To leave legacy, to have an impact. And um, here we have the most unlikely person in the room suddenly becoming the centre point of the room and being told she's done something beautiful and it will last forever. And that plays kind of on my mind because I want that to happen. 
and I want my church to be doing beautiful things for its community. I want to hear the voice of God over One Church Brighton saying, ah, they have done a beautiful thing for me. And I want our church to be doing things that leave a legacy, that change people's lives, that I talked about for years and years to come. Not because of the fame of the church, but because that's the measure by which we know we're really doing the things that Christ would have us do, the ultimate act of worship that we have for him. And that can be kind of a bit overwhelming and a little bit daunting and a little bit like, oh, is it down to me to to change the world? But my message to you today and my hope that encourages you today is um, three things. The first of them is that uh, it says in verse 8 of Mark 14, and this is Jesus's words, it says, she did what she could. That is one of the most understated verses in the Bible or undervalued verses, should I say, verses in the Bible. Uh, People have tattoos with Bible verses and stuff. I I think I might be tempted that if you force me to have a Bible verse tattooed on my body, it would be a very odd one. But if it could say, she did what she could. I think that's such a powerful little line because uh, Jesus is saying, here's a woman who within her means has done what she could. And that releases me because it reminds me that the only thing I'm being asked to do is what I can. I'm, I'm human just like you. And I am obsessed day in, day out with things I can't do. I see other people with their gift sets and their passions and their ability to work X amount of hours and their dynamism or their vision or intellect or whatever it might be. And I can live my life going, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, I can't. I can only do what I can do. And hearing the voice of God saying, it's acceptable for me for you to do what you can is really helpful. And One Church Brighton is simply being asked to do what we can. We're surrounded by some great churches in this city. It would be very easy to look across the road and go, oh, wow, if only we could be like them, if only we could be doing that. For Freedom Church, there will be pressure uh, implicitly or explicitly upon your leaders, upon yourselves, to be like other churches. And I would just encourage you, don't do what you can't. Do what you can. You you have a unique mix of people and skills and gifting. You have a unique mix in Romsey and the surrounding area of need. And all you're being asked to do is do what you can. When we started as a church, uh, we had this unique, pretty unique situation where I had sort of enough leadership now just about at that point in my life to know that joining two churches together was never going to work. There was just too much history between these churches and it wasn't always uh, edifying. And so I said, I think we should join together, but I think that we should actually die first. And I think there's some, uh, we could have found lots of biblical uh, examples or one particular about actually death happening so that new life, so that resurrection could happen. And so on Good Friday in Easter 2011, we had um, two different services in these two churches, and we said goodbye to them. Both of them had done over 100 years of service, fantastic, faithful service. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of people had come through the lives of these two churches. And so we honoured that. But we also said, this is the end. And it was sad, and people shed some tears. But on Easter Sunday... 
we woke up and we met down on the beach and we watched the sunrise and one church started as a new church on this day of resurrection hope. And the reason I tell you that is because we had a chance to start again. Don't lose sight of that point. We had an unusual chance to start again. Now, in reality, we all have chance to start again. Freedom Church isn't bound by any higher law than, than, than God himself who gives you freedom to start again. If you feel there's any part where you've lost your way, we, we all have this ability to start again. But because we had this kind of actual moment in the diary to start again, it meant that we tore up old constitutions of the church we're a Baptist church and you just don't really do that. I probably shouldn't have even told you that we did that, but we did. And then we tore up membership lists because there weren't any members, because we were a new church. And we started again. And we had conversation after conversation about what kind of church do we want to be? What are our values? Let's not to worry too much about the destination, but let's be concerned about how we're going to travel. And we'll trust that Jesus takes us to the destination. He's the head of the church after all. So we decided essentially let's do what we can we were really small at that point we had no money we did have some things going for us and what we could do was we had this beautiful building and then we had two beautiful buildings in a city that has arts venues and has gig venues and all the rest of it that are over full and people can't find venues so one of the easy things in the early days was to go to the city and say hey what would you put on in this space and since then, we have been rammed as a venue. We, we see thousands of people come through our building. I must be the only church pastor who regularly goes into our building and wonders what the heck is going on here. And I, get, I have strangers who say to me, excuse me, you're not allowed in this space. Um, I haven't yet said, do you know who I am? But one day I will. Um, I've opened the door once and there was a pirate-themed Kaylee happening only in Brighton. Um, uh, there are other crazy things happen. We had the UK Barista Coffee Championships just the other month in, in our building. Amazing kind of stuff because we were generous with the space. Why? Because that was something we could do. And we've made great relationships through that and we've got to meet brilliant people. And it's been a really fun uh, ride. Um, last year, our boiler broke, a £20,000 bill that we didn't expect to get. And it was beautiful seeing all of these people who we have these kind of relationships with, who use our building and become friends, people who don't go to church, suddenly going, oh, we'll help out and we'll help out. And we raise the money through a crowdfunder of people within our community who love our building and who love One Church. That was a special um, thing to do. Other things that we have been able to do. There was a point where um, somebody was concerned about child poverty in Brighton. At higher levels than you might be, uh, might, people might expect of a city like Brighton. We have a lot of children living in poverty. And so we started a project to, a simple project, which was if you get free school meals when school's on, what happens when school's not on for the 13 weeks? And so I think it was six or seven years ago now, a few of us went to a local school. They said, yes, that is a real issue. And we said, well, we'll run a food club during the holidays. And we handed out some flyers and there were literally maybe four or five volunteers on the first one. And we opened the doors and eight families had registered and three of them turned up. And there was too much food and it, it was quite a lot of effort. Well, let me just wind forward the story six or seven years. Um, 
CHOMP, as that project's called, is part of the city plan of Brighton in how to deal with poverty and how to help knit community together. We've served thousands of meals. It's happened in 12 venues across the city. We just had a significant amount of money given to us by Brighton, Brighton Hove Albion Football Club, by the players who had a whip round uh, to help during COVID. And we got the largest slice of that money. Um, it's such a well-respected project, but it started with simply something we could do. We've uh, There was a guy in our church who had come to do an MA at Sussex University who is a genius, who's brilliant, and he's this mad coffee nerd. Um, and we sat around having a drink of wine one night, and he was about to get on a plane with his family to go back to the States because his visa was about to expire. And we dreamed up a project of what would it be like to train people in the coffee industry to get them out of unemployment and into the hundreds, literally hundreds of coffee shops in Brighton. Um, by the time we'd finished having this glass of wine together, we had dreamed this dream together without having any idea whether we'd be able to afford his salary. We, we went to the home office. We put together a, a visa application thing on his behalf. He got the visa. He started to work without us knowing how he was going to be paid. Years later, that project has trained hundreds of young people. Hundreds of people are in jobs because of it. Why? Because Ben came along and that was something he could do. And we empowered him to do it. I could tell you about story after story. We run farmers market every week. We run a, a growing project out in the Sussex countryside that grows produce. We've taken some families who have come to Chomp out to Rock Farm. They've planted stuff. They've had a great day. It's been good for their mental health. It's been good for their relationships. And then months later, that produce that they grew is being put into the boxes that we have taken to other Chomp families, this beautiful kind of circular image of us growing produce that we're then able to give away to people who are struggling to afford fresh fruit and veg. Um, uh, there's other stuff that I'm going to forget about as I sit here and tell you about. We, we've just said yes to leasing a, um, a farmhouse out in the country for people whose housing situation is fragile. And uh, I just had the joy yesterday of interviewing two more people who will move in in September. Um, and we will help people over a two-year period to move from vulnerable, difficult situations, giving them mentoring and helping them to find their own place and, and move on. Why are we doing that? Well, it's something we could do. The need is obvious. We don't have to work hard. We, we see the need, and then we ask the question, what can we do? Don't worry about what we can't do. And what, sometimes what we can't do is step four, five, and six, but we can do step one, two, and three, and we're going to trust God for, for the rest. That woman in the story, she does what she can. And it's full of kind of moral dilemmas, actually, that story. Because that, that uh, perfume is worth a lot of money. Uh, an annual salary, you know, on, on average annual salary, let's say it's um, £25,000. Why has she got a £25,000 bottle of perfume? If she's a prostitute, has she got it because her, she's earned that? from her trade that feels kind of an odd thing to um to bring to jesus is it that one of her clients gave it her as a gift that feels like an odd thing that the more the kind of mind boggles was it part of her trade did she attract men by wearing that perfume but jesus accepts it because my second point and i'm <laughs> i'm nearly finished i promise you but my second point is that we shouldn't just do what we can we should do all we can and she empties that bottle of perfume on the feet of Jesus 
she enters it, she breaks it. There isn't an ounce left in there. If it's worth £25,000, then £25,000 worth of perfume has just been poured on the feet of Jesus. So for us, we're never going to be complacent as a church because all we're being asked to do is what we can. All I'm being asked to do is what I can today. Do what you can, but I am being asked to do all I can to empty myself, not in a way which is going to burn me out or is going to cause me harm, because Jesus promises when you do what I've asked you to do, the burden will not be uh, overwhelming. In fact, it will feel light. And isn't that the perfect place to be, where your gifting meets the needs of the world, but it feels like a light burden? And that's the sweet spot that we're trying to do. We don't always get it right in our church. I know that we've overburdened people over the years, but equally, we've had some people who have thrived as they've served and served and served because we must do all that we can. And my final point is do it now. You know, when uh, uh, this story plays out in Mark's gospel, it's in the final week of Jesus' life. And shortly after this, he's arrested. He's put through this sham trial. He's nailed on a cross. He dies. He's taken into a tomb. And then on the third day, the Bible says, some women come to anoint the body of Christ. When they get there, their cry is, oh no, we're too late. The incredible thing about this story in Mark 14 is, is it tells us that because one woman went with her gut and spontaneously did the right thing there and then, Jesus' body was anointed. Those women weren't too late. It had already happened. And so many people and so many churches and so many of people like me have good intentions, but we just don't do it now. We put it off. We know the right thing to do. Something bigger gets in the way. Something more important that the small thing that's right in front of us, we miss when it was something that we could do. And my prayer for Freedom Church and my prayer for you as people who belong to this church is that you don't wait to do good. You don't feel overburdened. You don't feel scared at the size of the task. But you feel free in being able to do what you can do. I'm desperately uh, excited. That's a strange phrase, but I'm really excited about the future of your church. And what I'll be praying for you and encouraging you in is simply to find out what is it that you can do. What is it you can do to do good around you in your neighbourhood, with your neighbours, with your friends, with your family? What is the good that you can do? Don't worry about what you can't do, but what you can do. Do all of that that you can do. And don't wait. Do it now. If you're in situations or relationships that are broken and need a word of forgiveness, if you have people around you who need some comfort today, don't wait. Don't intend to do it. Do what you can now and do all you can now. Thanks so much for listening and God bless you and uh, the church as it moves forward. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.